So, hey, welcome to Cornerstone. We're going to continue to look at First John. Um, excuse me. <coughs> My voice did that. Um, we're going to look at First John as a church. I want to remind you about this word fellowship that we've encountered. So John uses this word fellowship, and what it means is fellowship is a mutual commitment to a common purpose. And for us as a church, we're all about Jesus. We want to love Jesus. We want to praise Jesus. We want other people to know about Jesus. We want to rest in Jesus. And uh, if you, and, and if we're all about this together, and we're doing this together, then this coming Friday at Broomball, um, we're going to Broomball for Jesus. Not, not that he needs us to Broomball for him, but because we want to work together and see people come to know him. And that's why we do Broomball. You know, Broomball is fun, but man, life is about relationships and we want people to, to know about Jesus. And some of your friends might be too weirded out to, you know, sit here and uh, see people raising their hands. And so they're not going to come here. They're not going to come into my house, but they will come to Broomball. And then I'll get to meet your friends and hopefully they'll see that I'm somewhat normal and uh, they can deal with me. And then we can invite them to come to Sundays and, and come just see who, who Jesus is, taste and see that he is, he's good. He's good. And so this Friday night is a chance. I just tell you all, all of you is a chance for you to risk it. You know, maybe you're like, I don't know if people are going to come, but, but, uh, but buy some tickets and just go on your dorm floor, sit next to somebody intentionally in your class and just say, Hey, do you want to play broomball? And uh, they're like, what? And you're like, "Ah, well, listen, here's the deal. If you don't know what broomball is, everyone has a phone and it will take you three and a half seconds, type in broomball and you'll have 200,000 probably videos if you can watch about broomball. That's what we're going to be doing. And it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. It's pretty, it's exactly what it looks like. Um, But not knowing what broomball is shouldn't keep you from coming. So let's do this together. Let's do it together. Let's invite people to broomball. Um, Okay, first John, let me go ahead and pray. Father, thank you, God. I, we, I, just, I know you're here. God, let, it, let that wow us that the, the God of the universe is here with us. And some, some might be going, I, I don't know, I don't believe that. But Lord, your word changes people. God, you created us to know you. God, we, we thank you that you are a good God, that you're a good father. Lord, I pray that we learn to trust you. And as we go to your word today, God, I pray that you would instruct us and teach us. Teach us about who you are, about, about your heart for us, about what you want us to know. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this section um, of 1 John that we're going to be looking at today is fun because it's all geeked out with theology. Right. And but before I get, you know, my geek on, we want to look back and walk through some of the major themes from first John. If you remember, John is this granddaddy pastor. He's an old man at, the, at this time, and he's writing to a group of churches that he started or he had a great influence in getting started. And these churches were small. They were persecuted heavily. They were underground. And this church probably had a lot of younger new Christians in it. And I'm guessing maybe a lot like, you know, us here. So go ahead and raise your hand if you are under 25. You're under 25, raise your hand. All right, great. Okay, keep your hand raised. Keep your hand raised, okay, if you're pretty cool. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, cool. Cool people, keep your hand raised. If you've come to know Jesus in the last three years, if you come to know Jesus in the last three years, man, look around. So young, cool, new to Jesus, that's 
that was that church. Welcome to Cornerstone. That's who we are. So John tells us why he's writing in chapter five. He just gets right into it. He says, he makes it really simple. We don't even have to figure out why he's writing to the church because he says, I'm writing to you so that you would believe in Jesus and have eternal life. Simple. If you don't know Jesus, you're not connected to God. Your sins are not forgiven. They're not dealt with. You won't have eternal life. There is nothing secured for you. In fact, you're in a very unstable place unless you know Jesus, unless you go from being disconnected from the Father to being connected to him through Jesus. And you might be thinking, you know, well, how do I do that? How does that happen? I mean, when I was younger, I thought, you know, I was a Christian because I, I went to a church occasionally, and that was enough. I mean... I wasn't Jewish, right? I'm so I must must be a Christian. Some of you might be thinking, well, I believe in God and hopefully in my life, you know, the good things that I've done will outweigh the bad. And so you're not really sure. I mean, at the end of the day, you just, there's, there's no assurance. You, you don't know. You don't know how Jesus kind of fits into that picture. But John says, you can know. I mean, he says you can know him and you can know that you you know him, that you're a Christian. It's not a mystery. It doesn't have to be mysterious. And so the reason why John is writing is that there's a group of former insiders in this church, former insiders, and they started teaching stuff that wasn't true about Jesus. They made all these claims about themselves that that couldn't have been true because John was there. John knew Jesus. He knows that Jesus changes lives. John was there. He's not only an eyewitness, but he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And I've said this before, but I used to read that and go, what a snob. You know, you're, oh, you're the one he loves. But I think John was just captured by the thought that he loves me. Jesus loves me. And that's, that was enough for him. He loved me. You know that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If John were here, if John were here, he would, he'd be the only one singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, because I was there when he told me and said it with his voice. He told me I was there, right? That would be his song. And so John is saying in this book, and and we believe that God is speaking to us in here, that we can know him and we can know that we, we know him. You can know Jesus. You don't have to wonder about who he is. You don't have to wait to find out. You can know him. But you have to ask all these questions for yourself. The first one here, which is the major theme this morning, is this. And it's broken up into three parts. This book is, who is Jesus? I mean, John wants us to know who Jesus is. Who is he? Do you believe that he's God? That's who he said he was. That he came for you. He died for you. He was raised to life for you. Who is Jesus? This is the foundation for everything in the church for everything. And when that is clear, everything else just slides right into focus. It's the most important question in your life that you need to answer. So you need to figure that out. You know you're a Christian if you have Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying that what real Christianity is about is that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
It's not his last name. It means Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one who ushers us into the arms of the Father. A wrong understanding of God and who Jesus is is disastrous. And so John is saying theology is really important. Jesus is the Savior. You have to have a right understanding of who Jesus is. Next is the moral check of understanding what does a Christian look like? How do you know you're a Christian? That Christians desire to walk with Jesus. That they want that in their life. You know you are a Christian if you hate sin. If you hate it. You can look back. If you can look back over the last 12, 18 months and you can go, I haven't changed God is changing me. Then you know that there's something real there, that, that you know him. I'm maturing, I'm growing. There might be some things still in your life, but they're lesser this year than they were last year. I'm yielding my heart to Jesus. I'm learning to walk in the light, John says. The third part is this social checklist. You know you're a Christian if you hang out with other believers. And we don't want to become insular in, in this little kind of huddle where no one's included, right? We don't want that, but, but we do want to be with other people because this is, this is the greatest way that God said that the world will know that, that, that I am starting a new community and it starts with you. If I have your heart, you're in this community. And when you're in this community, this, it should be marked with all the things that Jesus came to tell us about, about what forgiveness is and what real love is and what tenderness is and what affection is and how to forbear with one another. And when that is here present in community, people on the outside, they look in and they go, I want that. I need that. I haven't found that anywhere else. Why? And we just go, because the Lord loves you. He loves me. And so so when we do family the way God wants it to happen, when we do life the way God wants it, and the, the reality is, is Christians want to hang out with other Christians. They love the church. In general, Jesus' people want to be with Jesus' people. Generally, that makes sense. And you think, boy, that doesn't sound incredibly spiritual, but it's incredibly practical. I mean, that's where John, or where Jesus prayed. And John records this in his gospel, that the church would be one as God and the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. So the world would would know that these people are my disciples and, and you know how to live. So God wants us to be this beautiful community where we're, where Jesus is at the center of that community. And so John makes it really simple and causes us to make, you know, honest assessments. Do you know Jesus? That, that's, do you know him? Either you do and you've experienced forgiveness and mercy and love and tenderness in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk a lot about him today. Or you haven't. You haven't. You don't know him. You haven't met him. You might believe but never acted on it. Like, like you kind of know God's there, but you've never really acted on what that means. You might understand things, but never yielded. You know, I can tell you a lot about Hawaii because I get it. I've seen the pictures, but Evan Dable, who I don't think Evan's here today, is he? But Evan Dable, he's been there. It's a big difference. You know, a big difference in seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon actually standing at the um, edge and going, we've experienced it. I've experienced it. Some of you have your sins forgiven. You've come to Jesus and surrendered. Some of you are still holding on to your life. You're trying to save it yourself. Um, you see Jesus and you might shudder. 
You either know him or you don't. The good news is that you can know him. That's the good news. So let's jump into verse 18 here in chapter 2. John says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, you know that it's the last hour. So two chapters in, he's pulling the Antichrist card, right? He's like, oh, there it is, the Antichrist. And it seems like, you know, when he's like, it's like when you play ball, it's like the guy who's always calls foul, right? Oh, foul, foul, he's fouled me again. It's the Antichrist card, right? Here it is. Boom, you know he's there, boom. Well, what do you say to that, right? Here's something we can learn from this. If you are new to Jesus, you need to be careful who your teachers are. There are plenty of people who have whack theology that are going to lead you away from the historical Jesus, from the Jesus of the Gospels. You need discernment. If you are young, there are many of you had your hands raised. In the last three years, you've come to real faith and, and, uh, and have placed your, your faith in Christ. You, you need to have discernment and understanding. The story of Christianity, for me, it fits like a, just like a glove with what we see happening in the world. You know, people are bent toward evil And what we need is repentance and faith. We need a savior. But in your classes here at ISU, you're probably going to hear again and again, the people are good. And what they lack is they lack education and they lack, you know, a good government. But people are generally good. What's wrong is is not sin. What's wrong is people are just misdirected. They're misguided. And in fact, Christianity is one of these things that should be thrown off. You know, if we get rid of the Christians and that religion, then everything will be better. I've had people tell me that. That's their goal. Convince people that Jesus is the enemy to real freedom. Christianity is the worst thing they've said to happen to such good people. And I just go, listen, the West is built on this foundation of Christianity. Hospitals, schools, learning, education. All of this is a result of the Christian ethic. America is a result of a Christian ethic. I know most of those guys didn't love Jesus. I know that. I know that. But neither did Gandhi who was educated in England and educated in this Christian ethic. And when he went back to India, that is the source of all of the change that happened there. He began to make a difference. So if you're a follower of Christ, you have to have discernment because there are people there who want to rob you and steal you away from Christ. You need discernment about what you hear and what you read and what you write about to get a grade here. So what's an antichrist though? First, let me say this. We live in a very unique time in history. We do. More people today say that the supernatural doesn't exist than in any point in history. And the thing about history is people who lived a long time ago, they weren't stupid. We know that. But today we're different because we don't believe that the supernatural exists. We stand very quite alone as a society in history saying that. It's unprecedented. And while we claim that God doesn't exist and angels don't exist and demons don't exist, there are currently 17 17 running television programs about the paranormal on TV. Have you guys watched like the ghost stories and files? Have you seen that? Come on, raise your hand if you've seen it. Yes, you have. I know you have. If you've watched the Olympics, if you watch the Olympics, there's a new show coming out called Believe. There's even more things coming out about the paranormal. Apparently, our modern society doesn't believe that junk, but we can't stop wondering. But evil is real. Good is real. Demons exist. Jesus is real. He's God. He's the ultimate good. And the Antichrist is someone who doesn't, doesn't only not believe that Jesus is God, but, but, but he sets himself up as, as a God, little g, who's bent on ripping people 
from Christ. In the scriptures, there are in scriptures there are many antichrists or false Christ and one ultimate antichrist. But it won't do us any good to try to figure out who it is. It won't do us any good. But if you do a quick search online, right, you'll see that it's been Emperor Nero, right? The church, oh God, he's horrible. I mean, he 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 crucifies Christians, you know, to torture them, and then he throws a party and he lights them on fire so that people can see when they're coming to the palace. That's Nero. He's the Antichrist. Or Hitler, or Barney the Dinosaur, literally. Or Hillary Clinton. You know, and we get involved in like 666, the mark of the beast. If you've read Left Behind, I'm concerned that you are, have some terrible theology, but we can fix that. And if you've watched the movie with Kirk Cameron, I'm picking on him again. Um, um, he's doing something though, right? So it's the last hour Paul says, or John says, it's the last hour and many antichrists have come. Obviously what he's talking about is not the last hour. Like, you know, um, you have till one today <laughs> to get things right. It doesn't mean that like it's the last hour, but, but he's saying that, um, but I don't know, maybe Jesus will come back by then. But the point is, is that we don't know. We don't know. And so if you ever find yourself in a church that says they know who the antichrist is and they know when Jesus is coming back, it should be a one and done visit. You should probably never go back. The last hour, though, here, it means that in God's time frame, when we look at creation to resurrection, really, there is only one event left in history. And so we go from creation to fall, to the flood, to the nations, to the fathers and the judges and the kings and the prophets. Then we have 400 years of silence. And we have Jesus. And we have his life. We have his works. We have his miracles. We have his death. We have his resurrection. And then, and then we have this, the ascension. And we have the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years so far of history of the church just waiting for one last thing for him to return. It's the last thing that's going to happen in the universe. But why are there so many antichrists? But what is, you know, what, what's an antichrist and why are there so many? And the term Antichrist, really, I mean, it's like a Pandora's box. John just decided to write it in the Greek, Antichrist, you know, against Christ. And uh, it's only found here in First and Second John. So it's like, oh, God, what is he saying? Um, in other places, a false Christ is used. Jesus and Paul talk about false Christ. So I put together a chart, right? And it can't even fit on one page. But I put together a chart about Antichrist and false False Christ. This is me getting all, can you guys see? Geeked out. Okay, so 2 Thessalonians 2, Matthew 24, Mark 13, 1st and 2nd John, Revelation 12 and 13. So you got all of these, you know, and they kind of go, this is where all, okay, go to the next slide. Okay, go that, boom, boom. And so you can see it all. So, so if you were John, right, you, 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 you see that he's, Jesus has talked about this. And so John probably is like, um, uh, He's probably thinking, okay, so they're coming, right? They're coming. I know they're coming because Jesus talked about it. And these people in, in John's community, and there's people today, they want to pull you away from Jesus. They would be happy if you never, ever, ever followed him in your life. And wisdom would say that in general, if you know Jesus and you want to follow him, and you're maybe struggling with a friendship, or you're, um, you're struggling with your parents, or you know, with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or one day if you're married and you're having trouble, you probably don't want the help the world can offer you. You don't want to go to people who don't know Jesus, who can't open up the scriptures, who think that you need to just read a self-help book. You'll want to go to people who have been with the Lord, 
And when, when, you're, when, when things get hard, you want to go to people who can breathe the gospel into you, who can tell you about who God is and, and help turn you so that you can, you can follow him and know what God is doing in your life. People who will do your soul good. You don't want what the world offers. The world offers a lot. They want to tell you a lot. But you want the Lord. Verse 19, he says, They went out from us, these people, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, then they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they're not of us. And all this makes sense. Um, it makes sense why these people then are in the church. When you think about it, if you want to see a train, where should you go? Train station. That's a good, that's a good one. What about if you want to, like, I want to marry an Egyptian. Where should you probably be? In Egypt, exactly. If you're Satan or a demon and hate Jesus and your goal is to make other people hate Jesus, where should you go? A church. Exactly. They'd they'd be here because I think some of you love Jesus. I think some of you love Jesus, right? Okay, great. Yeah. You know, if we learn to do that here, right, this, this is a safe place. We learn to do that here. We'll, we'll, we'll be more comfortable when we're, when we're with our friends, you know. But some of you love Jesus, and, and we practice that here. But how, how did that go again, Chelsea? Yeah, there you go. But they were part of us, but they went out from us. So I have this, this, see if you guys can see this. All right. I want to explain this to you so you kind of get, get this picture. Can you guys read those two words? I think I spelled them right. <laughs> Spell check. It's an error. Right? Visible and invisible. Let me explain this to you real quickly. So they went out from us. They were with us and they went out from us because they were never really with us. Okay, so here's, here's what's going on. We'll try purple first. Okay, this right here is the visible church. These are all the people that I see. You know, this is kind of in history, but right now, this is our visible church, right? These are the people who are present today. I can see you. But within here... Within, in this place, in these seats right here, there are people who are actually part of this invisible church. I don't know your heart. I don't know what your relationship with the Lord looks like, but you love Jesus. And so, so inside this visible church are people who are in the invisible church. They, they love the Lord. Okay, here's my story, right? I was born and my parents, you know, I was, I was like way over here in the visible church, you know, kind of in the background, right? And, and, uh, and between the age of, you know, I'm guessing, I don't remember anything before three, but I'm guessing I went and cried in the back, right? And so I'm in here, right? And, um, and then my parents, you know, we, we move at about 12. I was 12 years old, and I didn't go to church. I'm out of the visible church. I didn't know the gospel. I never made it into here. This is the, you can know Jesus. You can know that you know him, but I was out here from 12 to 16, just kind of walking around, doing my own thing. And somebody invited me to attend a church. Church is not a building. It's the people, right? So at 16, boom, I'm right back into here. 16, 17, 18, 19, you guys know the story. A man was witnessing to my dad on a plane doing evangelism and handing him a book. And, uh, and, and God, my dad came home and said, um, you're the religious one in the family because he knew I was going to church, right? I, was, uh, I appeared at those places. And, uh, and the guy gave my dad a book. And I read through that book. And uh, the last chapter was he changed my life. 
and there was a lot going on in my life at the time. And, uh, and I yielded my heart to God and said, I need you, Jesus. Bam, I'm in the invisible church. Some of some people, some people, they're out here, you know, just chilling. And all of a sudden there's a message on the, on the ground. And it's like, um, do you, do you, um, do you know God personally? I don't, I'm going to pick that up. Oh my gosh. I never knew that. What? He died for me. And all of a sudden, boom, you're not even in the visible church. You're in the invisible church. And then you're like, what is this? And you're, you become a part of it. A lot of people, guys, we've been doing this for a lot, a lot of years. A lot of people, they come to ISU and they're here and they go their freshman year and their sophomore year and their junior year. And it's like, whoa, you know, little dips of, whoa, almost there. And then, you know, and then they, but they're, they're just living their own, but they love community. And then they graduate and trials come and gone. I, I mean, I've got friends on Facebook that dozens like, you just, you're, you're not, you're not there. You're not there. Some of you, some of you are doing this right now. I can see you, but you have yet to really yield your heart to the Lord to, to just say, I, I want to believe. I believe in him. And, and what God does is, is he, he clothes you with righteousness and you become part of this invisible church. Those who at the end of time are going to be with him. You know, don't do this for too long without understanding who Jesus is and what he wants from you. And what's your story? Are you trying to figure it out? Are you, maybe that's you. I spent three years in this, <laughs> circling the bases, going, what is this about? Before I yielded my heart. G, um, C.S. Lewis famously said, Jesus is either a liar. He said he was God, but he's a liar. But who would knowingly follow a fraud as the disciples did, even many of them to death? Or he's a raving lunatic. But again, I've been around mentally ill people. It's not likely. Or he's Lord. He is who he said he is. So let's not call him just a good teacher. He's God. He never left that option open for us to say he has good principles. And when we come to Jesus, we all come in the same terms. We recognize two things. One, that he loves me more than I can ever imagine. And I have to let go of the ways that I need to prove it to me or prove it to dad or prove it to anybody. I need Jesus. Second, I I need him. You recognize you need him. I need him to cleanse me. I need him to love me. I need him to wash me. I need him to take away the shame and the hurt. And and I need forgiveness for what has been done and the removal of shame of what's been done to me. I believe and trust. When that happens, bam, invisible church. And you start learning and growing and and you have an inheritance and God forgives, forgives you and he sets you free. That's the only way to get here. It's the only way it happens and here's the indication, John says, that, we, that, uh, that distinguishes what, what we can't see from what we, what we can see. Verse 20, he says, but you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I think a better, in, um, a better interpretation of that last part is you know all things. You've been anointed by the Holy One. And what John is saying here is that 
you, the real church, this part, you, you have been given, you're the ones who know God. You have the Holy Spirit, God dwelling inside of you. Paul said in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit, it seals us. It's like, you know, you are sealed. You are secure. You're, you will be redeemed at the end of time. And Jesus said, unless I go, then he, the Holy Spirit, he won't come. But when I leave, he's coming. And some of us think, man, if only I had Jesus right here. If only I had him right here in my life. It, everything would be so much easier. But, but Jesus says, and, and I'm agreeing with him, that Jesus in you, the Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus with you. And, and that, that's, the, that, that's why he leaves. And, and we're going to wait to Easter, right? Easter, we're going to talk about this. But you have to see that probably the most important moment in the history of the church is the ascension. When, when the disciples are left there after the resurrection, and I don't know what that was like, but, but Jesus is like, I'm going to be with you. Go make disciples. And, and all of a sudden, you know, and you're going. And everyone was kind of looking up going, Oh, that was cool. But where'd he go? Like, we, like, stay with us, right? Stay with us. Here, let's, let's build shelters for one another. I mean, that's what, um, in Matthew 17, that's what, uh, during the transfiguration, I'm, I'm totally going down a rabbit trail. I won't go there. But it's like, stay here, you know? It's like he's going. But then, but then he gave, gives us the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit comes in, in, into our lives, and it guides us into truth. It guides us into truth. The Holy Spirit confirms the truth of the message that we heard from the beginning. The Holy Spirit equips us and empowers us to live a life free from sin and, and, and shame. And he moves us to witness to a dying world, the love of God. Those who left John's church, those who he's calling Antichrist, they, they were here. They were never here. So they left. They don't have the knowledge of God, but you know him. You, you know him, you know him, and he lives in you. You can know that you know him. The difference between these two groups of people is not that one tries harder. <laughs> this is not about trying harder. Or that, you know, they all stay in the visible church, you know. They all just stay and congregate right here. And, and, and that way, you know, I, no one will know. I can just fake it. I can just, I, as long as they see me, you know, I'm present, I'm, Good. The difference is really believing, really believing in Jesus, kneeling before him. And then what happens is he puts his spirit in us and his spirit confirms and convicts and we listen to him and his promptings. And what, became, what happens is we begin to learn to walk with God. Verse 21, John says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And John's not trying to teach them here something new. He's just reminding them. He's reminding these people, you know him. You you know him. Hold fast to him. Remember what's at stake? These people said, Jesus? Nah, you don't need him. Let me teach you something new. Let me show you what you really need. Let me show you another way. Let me be your teacher. Jesus isn't God. He's not the Savior. And so we're back into Antichrist again. Someone who wants to actively tear you away from the Lord. 
They deny Jesus' divinity, that he's divine, that he's, that he's not just of God, but he is God. And they want you to do that as well. It would be a good thing to avoid their teaching. You don't have to avoid them, but you don't want to actively listen to them. If anyone says that Jesus isn't God, then they're a liar. That's what John's saying. They're a liar. Scripture says he's God. God says he's God. We, The Holy Spirit in, in us confirms that, that he's God. The apostles said he's God. And there's one thing that we absolutely will always say about Jesus here is that he's Savior. There are lots of other things that we can say about him, but this is the foundation. Can you say that? I mean, can you say that? Can you, can you say for yourself, Jesus is my God? And if not, what is keeping you? What keeps you? And John's probably been on the lookout for these antichrists. He's been on the lookout. He knows that they're coming because he was with Jesus when Jesus said, false Christ will come. And so he's like, ha, here they are. And, and he's, he's like, trying to encourage the church, writing, writing to them. Here they are. They're deceiving people. They want to deceive people. So John's like, I better be ready if it happens. And so it happened. Does this mean that everyone is an antichrist? Everyone who just doesn't love Jesus? No. But my New Year's resolution is make sure it's not me. Ever. Like, ever. So take what I say and read it for yourself. Open up the scriptures. Read it for yourself. Read what people for millennia have said about who Jesus is and how he changes lives. Hopefully that's enough about that. Verse 23, no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the son and the father. Here's what he's saying. There's probably a lot of people when pressed, they will say that they believe in God. Oh yeah, you know, I believe in God, but not Jesus. I don't have to believe in Jesus to believe in God. And John's saying it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can't be indifferent about Jesus. You can't just let him sit out there and make up your own conclusion about him and say, well, I believe in, 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 in God, but it, I don't have to believe in Jesus. I call him Jesus, Buddha, Krishna. It doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. If that's you, then I'm concerned for you because you're on really shaky ground. Reality is there is Jesus and there is a pantheon of demons. Which one do you pick? Who's your choice? Me? I'm betting the farm on Jesus. I've got, I've got everything riding on him. The only way you have God as your father is if you have his son. It's the only way. And when you treasure his son, God treasures you. When you treasure Jesus, the father treasures you. And Jesus is not something to believe, to be believed in like wishful thinking, like I hope it's true. I hope he's real, like, you know, garden gnomes. Jesus really, really cleanses you. He's really removes sin. Everything that keeps you from knowing the Father, he's made a way for you to know him and trust in him. And when you do, he puts his spirit in you as a deposit, guaranteeing that you have an inheritance Jesus in us means that is the means by which sin is severed and brings us and unites us to the Father. Verse 25, and this is the promise. This is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Showed you a video last week of just how, you know, 19-year-olds and a camera 
are invincible. They'll hang, you know, a thousand feet in the air from a crane. Have you ever been in a situation, though, that's been uncomfortable? We're talking uncomfortable. How long did it last? 15 minutes? I'm telling you, if you put your hand on a hot stove for 15 minutes, it would feel like an eternity. But an eternity is really, really long. It's really long, which is great if you have Jesus. But if it's not, darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Have you ever walked out of a test? You're like, oh, man, what was, what was that? What was that? Oh, ah, I can, ah, this is gnashing of teeth. Ah, ah. Don't, don't miss it, folks. Don't miss it. Eternity lasts forever. Jesus got out of his grave, and one day you will too. We don't have time to talk about the very end, but you need to know these three things. Jesus created our flesh. He created us to live with him forever. Two, sin severed us from God, causing death and decay. This is not what God intended. And thirdly, Jesus was raised bodily from death so that we could be restored too to life with him forever, like it was in the beginning. Some of us will go into everlasting joy. Some of us into everlasting sorrow. But you have to see that life with God begins now. I mean, it begins right here and it lasts forever into death, after death. Death for the person who believes actually turns out really good. Because death no longer, no longer keeps you from him. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you abide in Christ, if you're in the invisible church, when you die, it will serve you to bring you right into his presence. Ushers you right there. That's how Paul can, can proclaim, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Ha! Bring it on! It's going to serve me! Ha! Ha! Give me death. I, do I have a death, death witch? No, I don't. Because I love life. I love it. But what I love about it in my relationships with my kids and the snow and the mountains and the beach when it's 85 and there's like a light breeze, it's all a shadow of what's to come. C.S. Lewis wrote about that. He goes, the reason why we like it so much here is that it's just a picture of what God has for us later on and it's coming and everything rides on Jesus and who you say he is. Is he the Christ? Is he God? If you don't know, you can know. You can know him. You can talk to him. He won't misguide you. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing you've received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is, in, and is true and is no lie, just as, just as it has taught you, abide in him, abide in him. I'll close with these words. If you hear his voice today, if you hear his voice tomorrow, if it's next month, next... Just listen to him. Listen to him. 
abide in him. If you know him, then be with him. If you don't, what are you going to do with Jesus? Here you are. Here you are. Here's your chance. This, this is it. You probably will get uh, many more, but you can't count on it. But you can count on Jesus. You can bet the farm on him. I just tell you guys, I love you guys. I love you. I want you to have life to the full now, eternal life forever with him. Let me invite the band up and pray. Why don't you guys stand with me here? Lord, I just, I, th- I think about there are so many things in life that we, that we can get wrong and it doesn't matter a hill of beans. I don't know, that was funny, I guess. Is that an old person saying? What's the new one? I don't even, you just, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, I don't even know what beans are. What does it have to do with beans? It doesn't matter. God, we can get it wrong, but, we, but, but woe if we get you wrong. And Lord, there's nothing, nothing shameful about really looking into it. If, if anyone here is saying, I don't know what I believe, then just ask. N- nobody gets scared into believing in Jesus or, or is coerced. We come, we come at our own, on our own terms. So, Lord, my prayer, my unending prayer is that all who are standing here would be present because the last day is here and you are going to come and you are going to take your bride. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.